Hey, uh, before we get started, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, the passage that Eugene just uh, shared with us. But before we get started, if we could just pray for uh, what's going on and what has happened up in in the Prescott area with the Yarnell fire and the 19 firefighters who, uh, uh, the the hotshot crew that went down uh, in that. If we could just offer a prayer for the families and the people up there, I'd really appreciate it. Um, God, we, are, uh, we come to you because we can't go anywhere else in a time like this. Uh, you're the only one who uh, could possibly have an answer to this. And we, we come to you because we know that you are sovereign. We come to you that, because we know that you are both provider and protector. Uh, we come to you because we know that uh, your son has not suffered anything that we have not Uh, Yet even in temptation, he was without sin. Uh, God, we come to you because of the finished work of your son on the cross. But this is a time of questioning and a time of despair, a time of pain. And so we come to you searching for hope, for comfort, and for answers, for wisdom, and for discernment. God, we know that even though this tragedy took place uh, way north of us, that there are people in this congregation who have been touched by it. We've been receiving prayer requests. And so we know that there are friends and family members who knew people who were killed. And so we lift them up to you. We lift up the families of the, of the firefighters who died. We lift them up to you. They, they have so many questions right now, and they need hope and comfort. And you can provide it. And so we lift them up to you. We lift up the, the department there. We lift up the community to you. And we pray by the power of your spirit that you would work in the midst of this. God, that's our prayer for that community right now. And we pray all this in the glorious name of your son. And it's by your spirit that we do it. Amen. Amen. Well, we are... Uh, as a church, all of Redemption, all of our congregations, we're working through the book of Romans. And we've been doing it for about three months now. And uh, today marks the end of the 12 weeks that we spent in that section of Scripture where Paul says, you are without excuse. That long section from, it's the first major section in Romans It's Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul lays out the case against humanity apart from Christ. And and it's interesting because he starts that section in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1 with the gospel. And he also ends it with the gospel in Romans 3, 21 through 20, well, and beyond 24, which we look at today, with the gospel. And we're going to be looking at that today. But he starts that section, and that was a while ago. That was three months ago when we talked about that, where where, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. That In their vernacular, that would be everybody. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed For faith, from faith. For as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But then that next verse, he goes into the case against humanity apart from Jesus Christ. As prosecuting attorney, he presents his case as though he were an attorney. 
And he has to do it beyond a reasonable doubt. And he has to do it where he closes every single loophole. And he starts the case by saying, the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of which every one of us in this room and everyone who has ever lived is guilty of. All of us. He says we suppress the truth. He says that our depravity consistently descends without Christ, apart from Christ. He says your morality, that idea that you have that you know right from wrong, it's of no use to you across from, uh, uh, apart from Christ. Uh, your good works, all those good things that you do apart from Christ, it's not going to help you. Those of you that think that you're a part of the covenant people of God, that you have circumcision or that you have the law, even that's not going to save you in the end. He closes every last possible excuse, exception, and loophole. And then last week, Sean did a beautiful job of taking us through his closing argument verses 9 through 20 of chapter 3, where he says, none are righteous, no one understands, no one seeks after God, all have turned away, no one does good, no, not one. And then today, we come to what I would argue are the two best words in the Bible. But now. But now. In spite of how lost And helpless we are apart from Christ, there is a righteousness that's available to us apart from the law that God has given to us as a great gift because of his love for us and because it will glorify him to draw us onto him. He is not only a just God, but he is also the justifier of us. Uh, Let me reread the passage for you and then we'll take just a couple of minutes to unpack uh, a little bit of it. Again, Paul writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's Paul's little way of saying, no one should be surprised that Jesus came and did this for us. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So Paul says, now there is a righteousness apart from the law. Now you need to understand this was an absolutely revolution, revolutionary, amazing, profound statement on Paul's part. He, he turned most people's wor- world upside down when he says there's a righteousness of God apart from the law that's been made known now through Jesus Christ. Here's why. What he's saying, essentially, is this righteousness of God that's available to you is apart from any human effort whatsoever. It's apart from anything that you and I might bring to this table of salvation, this table of righteousness. In other words, this is God intervening in our lives. It is His gift and His love and His mercy that He would intervene in our lives. The Roman, uh, ancient Roman poet Horace, when he would talk to young uh, aspiring writers about how to do well in writing uh, pr- provocative and interesting narrative and drama, he would say, listen, don't, don't, ever, don't ever solve the tension that your story has created too soon. 
He even writes this. Let me just quote it to you. He writes this. He says, Do not ever bring God on stage unless the problem is only one that God can solve and don't bring Him on stage too soon. Don't bring God on stage unless it's a problem that only God can solve and don't bring Him on too soon. Well, guess what? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through Romans chapter 3, verse 20 is the problem that only God can solve. We can't solve it, and it's not too soon to bring Him on stage. We've been through this for 12 weeks. It's not too soon to bring Him on stage, right? We're ready for God. It's not too soon for an intervention. We live in a culture of intervention, you know? We have intervention parties. We have intervention events. We have intervention uh, processes. Intervent, we have, we have reali- a reality TV show called Intervention, right? Well, Jesus is the true intervention. He is the better intervention. He's the only intervention. He's the supernatural intervention. He's the only one that we need. God, through Jesus Christ, intervenes and He saves us. He redeems us and He justifies us. So, Redemption Arcadia, this is the gospel It is a righteousness apart from the law that only God through His Son Jesus Christ can provide for us through the cross and the resurrection. Now we're going to take three weeks to go through these last two paragraphs in Romans chapter 3. And the reason we're going to take three weeks to go through these two paragraphs is because uh, Luther says that this is the heart of the new covenant of New Testament theology. These two paragraphs. This is it. This is everything for us. And so we're going to take some time to go through them. Today, I'm going to offer three quick points on the the few verses that we looked at. And then I'm going to introduce you to a second prisoner painting, Joe Camara's painting, and I'm going to read you his letter, and we'll be back into some worship and praise. So three things I want to talk about. Number one, those words, but now. But now. Well, what's now? What is now? Three things. Number one, God on our behalf through Jesus Christ has exchanged wrath, which he says that is coming our way in chapter 1, verse 18. He has exchanged wrath for righteousness, a right standing before God. He's taken away the wrath that he's going to give us, and he's given us right standing before him through his son, Jesus Christ. But now, a righteousness of God apart from the law. That's what he's saying. Second of all, He has also exchanged through Jesus Christ our condemnation for redemption. Remember in in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says that our condemnation is deserved if we remain apart from Jesus Christ. But God has now exchanged that condemnation for redemption through Jesus Christ. That redemption in their day, that, that, that word redemption, when Paul uses it, you should think about Uh, the way the slave process was in in the ancient Mediterranean world. It's really a word that refers to uh, how a slave could be redeemed from a life of slavery and be made a free man or a free woman for the correct payment. Well, Jesus has made the correct payment on the cross for our sin. He has redeemed us from the slavery of sin. That's what Paul is talking about there. So, So he's exchanged wrath that we are in line for, for righteousness. He's exchanged our condemnation for redemption. And then third, he's exchanged the law for grace. 
He's exchanged legalism for freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom in the gospel, and freedom to be who God has called us and made us and wired us to be. And all of this is a gift from God, the passage says. And he does this all because of his love for us and because it will glorify him by drawing us to him. For us, he's exchanged wrath for righteousness. He's exchanged condemnation for redemption. And he's exchanged legalism for freedom. He, he's exchanged our death for his life. That's what he's done. That's really good news. Second thing I want to point out here is that Paul says in verse 22 that there is no distinction. Now, he's been saying that all along. These last 12 weeks, we keep hearing, there's no distinction. Everyone sins. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. Everyone is without excuse. Everyone is suppressing the truth. But now he also says the same thing about salvation. There is no distinction. Anybody can come to Christ. Anybody can do that. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. And, and he argues, your ethnicity doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. The sin that you have committed does not matter. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who your tribe or your clan or your family is. It doesn't matter if you went to ASU or U of A or NAU or GCU or Harvard. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. There is now no distinction. You can come to Christ and exchange wrath and condemnation and legalism for freedom and redemption and righteousness. You can receive the gift of grace. You can come to Christ and put your life in His hands and He will put His life in you. And then the third thing, this is all possible because you see it in verse 25. That's why we went a little bit into verse 25. This is all possible because it is done by the propitiation of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now next week, we're going to spend considerably more time unpacking and understanding this word propitiation. But I want to touch on it and get, it, get us started this week. Propitiation literally is the sacrifice of atonement by Jesus Christ on the cross through His blood. Propitiation means sacrifice of atonement. It is the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sin by Jesus and Jesus alone on the cross. And it is a substitutionary atonement because we don't have to go through it. Jesus did it for us. He did it and we receive the benefit of it. It's His payment on our behalf. We simply come to Him and accept it. And that propitiation, you see it there in verse 24, that propitiation is what justifies us. Justifies is a legal courtroom turn in that particular uh, context. So in other words, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that you and I, apart from Christ, we stand before God and we are accused and guilty, but Jesus takes the rap. If we're in Christ, he's taking the rap. His sacrifice of atonement satisfies the legal debt for our sin. And by that, we stand justified and righteous before God. In other words, we are stamped paid in full. We are paid in full. On Easter, we, we introduced you to these uh, prison artists, Joe and Charlie, uh, by showing you Charlie's painting, the first one that he's ever done for Redemption Arcadia. And it sits in our lobby now, and many of you have been inspired by that and have been encouraged by that. And 
and uh, have appreciated that. Um, the reason we did that on Easter Sunday was because Charlie decided he was going to do his painting and write his letter about uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of Romans. That was when we started the book of Romans. And specifically, he did it on the word doulos, which is translated as, as slave. Uh, today, we get to do Joe's painting. Uh, Joe decided that he was going to do his painting on Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. So you see the painting there. It should be up on the, on the screens if we, if we got the scan right. And I'm going to read you the letter that goes along with the painting uh, that helps explain it. And then we'll be done and we'll have Sean come back up and lead us some more. So it's on Romans 3, 21 through 24. Uh, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then Joe writes these words. Freedom is appreciated the most after it is lost. And even though most people won't experience the loss of their physical freedom, we have all been imprisoned born to wear inherited chains. These chains attach us to the law of God's perfect standard of holiness, a standard we could never live up to. However, the law was never intended to make us holy. Rather, it shows how unholy we are. When thinking about the law, in this case, I'm considering the Ten Commandments, I have often wondered about the contrast between the set of stone tablets that God made versus the set of tablets that Moses made. Exodus 32 says that in a fit of anger over the Israelites' idolatry, Moses threw down and broke the set of tablets God had made. In Exodus 34, God commanded Moses to carve a second set himself. It makes me wonder, what did the set of stone tablets that God made look like? Perfectly smooth edges? Were they polished marble? and as smooth as reflect and, and reflective as glass? I can only speculate, but I'm pretty sure that Moses' version of the tablets looked nowhere near as good as God's version. But interestingly enough, God himself insisted on engraving the commandments into both sets of tablets. And century later, when he introduced a, the new covenant, God insisted on writing the law upon our hearts, as he says in Jeremiah 31. Another contrast I am reminded of when thinking about the carving of the stone tablets is works versus grace. Our works compared to God's grace. No matter how good of a job Moses did on carving the stone tablets, the craftsmanship could never equal God's. The same could be said of all of us if we were given the same task. If the stone tablets represented works, some of us naturally would have carved the tablets better than others. I imagine there are many people who could have done a better job than Moses, but we all would ultimately fall short of perfection. Furthermore, the tablets would always be worthless pieces of granite until God engraved them and gave them worth. Our works cannot compare with God's grace, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how hard we try, we can never live up to God's perfect standard of holiness or masonry. We are justified freely by His grace. And just as those stone tablets had no worth in the hands of a man, our life only achieves its true value when God gets a hold of it. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. Through faith in Jesus, we lose the chains that keep us shackled to the law and gain our freedom. Plus, we now have the righteousness of Christ as our own, and it's as if we'd never sinned. For the sake of love, God did all the work 
And it's because of Jesus that we now have the freedom to stop working for love. We have a new identity in Christ. And according to Isaiah 62, our new identity comes with a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Even though sometimes we forget who we are. We lose our identity. We forget our new names and we march off to our spiritual quarries to chisel away at some new and unimproved worthless piece of granite, hoping to earn a little grace. And as we hand these stone tablets to God for engraving, the only thing written this time is paid in full. My favorite quote from C.S. Lewis is, you never know how bad you are until you try to be good. I had to realize how bad I was before God could make me good. I had to be lost before being found. I had to drown in my depravity before resuscitation and renewal could begin. And yet, even now, after all these years, I still catch myself trying to add my works to His grace. Some days, when grace breaks through my defenses, I can lay down my chisel and hammer long enough to let God love me and remind me who I am. He reminds me that I am deeply loved, that I don't have to try to make up for who I used to be, and that He's not mad at me or keeping a record of wrongs. Let me pray. God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You are just and You are justifier. We thank You for your provision through your son Jesus Christ and the life that is ours through his resurrection. God, we just come to you today boldly because we can and we accept this gift. We love you and we pray that it would glorify you as we come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.